at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. You know, there are certain events which transcend politics and sports and affect just just everybody. If you're a political junkie, maybe you can remember distinctly where you were on some particular election night. If you're a heavy-duty sports junkie, you can remember maybe where you were the night the Brewers went to the World Series or, or whatever. But but there are some events that are just so branded in our public consciousness that, that everybody can remember where they are. My parents, for example, um, they're, they're – a lot of their formative years were shaped by December 7, 1941, which was the attack on Pearl Harbor. And, you know, you, you could talk to, I could talk to my mom, I could talk to my dad. They remembered where they were when they learned the news of the Japanese attack on the U.S. fleet that, that took us into World War II. They remembered it distinctly. For me, I can remember where I was when I first learned about the assassination of President Kennedy in November of, of 1963. I happened to be in first grade, and I can remember the, 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 the classroom, and I can remember the teachers coming in and saying the president's been shot, and I can remember them sending us home from school, and I can remember that weekend with all the coverage, on the watching the coverage on the black and white televisions about the funeral. But it was this shared experience. If you were of a certain age in 1963, um, just like if you were a certain age in 1941, you remember where you were when you learned the news. I think a much more recent example of that is for pretty much, well, I was going to say pretty much all of us, but, you know, the, the time is starting to pass. If you knew, if you were around on September 11th, 2001, you, you remember where you were. You remember the images of the planes flying into the Twin Towers. You remember vividly learning about this and sitting there and listening to the radio or watching television and trying to piece together, you know, what was going on. But but those are the events, and there's probably a handful of other ones as well. But, I mean, Pearl Harbor, the JFK assassination, certainly 9-11. And there's one more that I think fits into a lot of people's consciousness, but maybe maybe not as much as the, at the forefront as some of the others that I just talked about. 10.40 a.m., January 28th, 1986, 36 years ago today. Think back on that day, and maybe you don't vividly remember it without you know, me telling you what happened, but 36 years ago today, 10.40 in the morning Central Time, the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. And remember, again, if you were, if you were around then, chances are you remember this event. For people who aren't familiar with it, the Space Shuttle Challenger broke apart 73 seconds into its flight, killed all seven crew members aboard. It was the first fatal accident involving an American spacecraft in flight. 
in this particular situation also all seven astronauts passed away two female astronauts one who was uh, her name one was uh, Judith Resnick who was an astronaut and then also what particularly caught people's attention is this was part of the the teachers in space program that had been created by President Reagan and um Christine Krista McAuliffe, who was a, a school teacher, she was on board as well, and she was one of the the seven that perished in the explosion. And, and the interesting thing about this is, sometimes you think, is there big stuff that ends up going wrong? The the, the Challenger disaster was caused by two O-ring seals in, in a joint in the solid rocket booster. And what had happened was um, when they launched that day, it had been particularly cold out, out of Houston, and the record low temperatures of the launch had reduced the elasticity of the rubber O-rings, reducing their ability to seal the joints. And what happened is the, the, these are these are the little O-rings, the little piece of rubber that you see all throughout your house. The broken seals caused a breach in the joint shortly after liftoff, which allowed pressurized gas from within the shuttle to leak and burn through the wall of the external fuel tank, which caused the explosion. And, and so the, the, these little rubber O-rings that failed caused the death of seven people. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I believe that this is one of those situations where you, you you remember where you were when you learned of this. I was a um, couple years into my career as a federal prosecutor working at the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I can actually vividly remember my administrative assistant coming in, and I don't know if she'd been listening to the radio or whatever. She said, we've got to find a television set because you the, the, the space shuttle has just exploded. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The, the seminal events... As time goes by, I think there's just a tendency to forget them. And yet, this is one that because it made such an impact on the public consciousness, I don't want us to forget. It also makes us appreciate the fact that sometimes we take for granted the space program and we assume, okay, well, there's nothing that can go wrong. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where were you 36 years ago today when the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded? Do you remember that? What is it about it that you remember, and why do you think it hit home so much for so many people, besides just the, the epic scope of the tragedy that seven Americans lost their lives? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And in talking about the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster, I misspoke. The NASA was, of course, based out of Houston. The launch itself was out of Cape Canaveral in, in Florida. But record low temperatures had caused these little rubber O-rings to freeze. They lost their seal, and, and it resulted in the deaths of seven people. Let's start with Darren in Waterford. Darren, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Um, what I remember about this is I was in, I was in seventh grade uh, in Racine going to McKinley Junior High, and we were in pre-algebra in math class, and our teacher brought a TV in for us to watch this launch, and it was the first time we'd ever seen a launch. And he brought it in, and, boy, it wasn't a minute or so into the launch that, unfortunately, the explosion happened, and it was the most somber classroom you've ever seen in your life. 
Yeah, you know, interesting, Darren. I, I think one of the reasons a lot of people who were in school had that experience is, again, it's because of Krista McAuliffe. And this was going to be, this was the teacher in space thing. So, I mean, I think that, you know, I, mean, I can remember as a kid, you know, you'd watch the Apollo launches, but this was the teacher in space. So here, you know, we're going to see this. And so you, you arguably had millions and millions of more people that were watching this live in classrooms on those, my guess is, was your TV, like one of like the portable TVs that they have mounted on one of those moving stands and they rolled it on wheels yeah that's, ex- yeah. that's, that's ex- exactly what it was and i guess m- m- more of the impact for this is so many children saw this instead of a, a bunch of adults seeing it it was seen by so many kids that were so young who really didn't understand what was going on right no thanks to call darren i appreciate that and that that's exactly it again this was and look it would have been a tragedy of epic proportions regardless but again b- because of the teacher in space program because so many people were watching it live and this this really at the time that this was the the first deaths in first fatal mission involving an american spacecraft in flight there there was the incident years and years earlier where you had the spacecraft on the ground that caught fire and you had the astronauts that that were killed but this was this was the first time and remember everybody's seen the movie Apollo 13 and all that was viewed as this incredible successful failure where you you have the the spacecraft is able to get back from the moon and and I think a lot of times we had taken the space shuttle for granted we had assumed oh you know what's the big deal behind all this and then you have just millions of people that are watching this live, including, as Darren was saying, lots of kids. And all of a sudden, you see, my gosh, this thing looks like it's just exploded. Tony in Dallas. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Uh, well, my story is about the same as Darren's. Um, they brought a bunch of us into a classroom and had the TV going, and we had a lot of excitement. And then it was just, all right, everyone go home. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so do do you, okay, as we sit here in January of 2022, do you remember that, I mean, vividly still, 36 years later? Oh, yeah, it's it's other than uh, uh, 2.11, that is the biggest thing I remember in my life, and I'm about to turn 50 in a couple of years, so. Yeah. yeah, no. I, yeah. no thanks for the call. I no, I, I appreciate it. It's it's it again. It's one of those. It, it is one of those vivid things. That's why I started this off. And I'm thinking again. If you, if you were of my parents' generation, or perhaps a little bit younger. I mean, Pearl Harbor is the defining thing. Like I say, for for me, I vividly remember the JFK assassination. We we all remember 9/11. Um, and the, the the Challenger explosion is another one. Let's talk to Todd in Watertown. Todd, you're on WTM. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, it, yes, it was super vivid. Uh, vivid. I, I was, uh, I, I was, I was there. I was in Cape Canaveral, but I had just did move to Daytona Beach, um, and I was going to Daytona Beach Community College, and then ended up going to Central Florida to build the satellite campus. But anyway, um, I was living with my cousin who went to Embry Riddle, who's an aeronautical uh, university, and, and his buddy was a marine, so they they were into all that stuff. So. We, we watched it. I watched it take off from um, the TV, and then they ran outside, so I followed them. And they went to a spot in this apartment complex where they're like, wait, wait, wait. And all of a sudden, here it came, and it came up. And then when it had blown up, I didn't know it had blown up because I had never seen it before. I turned, and they ran back to the apartment. 
and they never said a word. And I'm like, what's going on? So I looked, and there was a girl, I was 20 years old, a young woman, standing next to me, and we're watching it together, and she's like, when the solid rocket boosters went off to the side, she's like, wow, she goes, that's really beautiful. And I said, yeah, it really is. That's so awesome. And we sat there, we watched it, but we had no idea that it blew up. We thought that that was what happened every time. So I kind of leisurely went back in to the uh, uh, to the apartment, and they're freaking out. They're like, it blew up, it blew up. And I'm like, what? So that always yeah, it, stuck with me just so vividly because I've yeah. seen it live. And then it, it had yeah, it, it actually frozen time. It was so cold that night that the, the, the where it had crystallized, it stayed there all day. It was just, it was so bizarre to see it uh, firsthand. Todd, Todd, thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine what that would be like. A couple people, somebody was texting me saying, wasn't this a Saturday? No, it was a Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, which is why, again, so many people were in class. And, again, the, the attention that it's getting, it, it, it the, you know, when, when I was when I was growing up, and, you know, the, the like the Apollo system and sending the rockets to the moon, you, you would, that it, w- it was a big deal. You know, when they did the rocket launch, they would stop class, and they'd bring in that television set, the portable TV, and they'd plug it in, and it was on the little cart that you could wheel in, and, and you would watch it. But, but as time went on, it became more and more routine, and they didn't do that. You know, typically, watching the space shuttle takeoffs, that, that was not going to be something that was going to be, you know, you stop school and you have everybody watching. But again, because there was the teacher on on this, that that's where it got all the extra attention, and of course nobody anticipated that this would happen. Julian Kenosha, Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Yes, it's just as you just described. I will never forget. I was in fifth grade, Mrs. Schultz's classroom, and she wheeled in the TV on the cart, um, Gifford Elementary. And we all had just been learning about space and the moon. And um, we watched and cheered as the rocket went up into the air. And, and then we watched it explode. And Mrs. Schultz started crying. She started crying. And she was rushing and, and so flustered trying to get the TV out of the room. And it was just a, such a chaotic, epic moment um, that is just, emblazoned in my mind um and and it again my guess is it's as vivid as maybe 9-11 or something like that is it's just it's one of those shared moments that we all have Absolutely. 9-11 was another big moment for me. I was in, uh, I was in grad school and, um, I was supposed to have an exit interview with a professor at the end of my internship. And, um, I was watching 9-11 trans- transpire and I called him and I said, I can't, I can't come in. I was supposed to go into downtown Chicago and I said, I, I can't do that. I, it's not safe. Yeah, it's just amazing. Thank, thank, thanks to call, Julie. It is one of those things. Uh, a, a number of people are, are saying, or at least a handful of people are saying, no, no, people are mixed up. It happened on a Saturday. No, um, January 28th, 1986 was a Tuesday, which is why so many people were in class. Now, some people, I'm not sure what day, back in 2003, you, you had the, the Columbia 
which was, you know, an, another, you know, one of the, the space-related type of tragedies. That may have been on a Saturday, and some people might be mixing it up. But, no, the, the people that remember being in class and seeing it are, are correct. Space Shuttle Challenger, Tuesday, January 28th, 1986. Um, I mean, let's go to a couple texts. Um, let's see. I was in, okay, um, I've been married 30 years. Uh, he said, I, I got divorce papers delivered. The deputy was still there. We watched it for a while. Um, you know, wow. Yeah, some people are pointing out that, yeah, it's the Columbia that disintegrated on reentry on a Saturday morning. So, right, the, the Challenger was definitely a weekday. Jeff, I remember very vividly, I was a waitress setting up for lunch. We had the TV on. We were shocked. Both uh, myself and our, our manager started crying. Jeff, I was in fourth hour graphic arts class. They had a TV in the room. It was surreal to see it explode. That was from Jeremy. Jeff, I was at work at a YMCA. A member came in and told us what had happened. We turned on the Youth Center TV. We took turns watching and then passing the news on together. Um, matter of fact, then I remember President Reagan's address to the nation following this. Jeff, I was a student at North Central Technical College in Wausau. I was in with instructional aides doing some work, and the other agent came in and said the Challenger had blown up. I went running to another room to flip the radio over to hard news from the rock station we had on, because I didn't have to, because even the rock station was talking about hard news. Jeff, I was on a road trip with my elderly dad driving on a back road west of Huntington, West Virginia. Heard it on ABC Radio Network's special report. I stopped a few minutes later at a general store for gas and watched a few minutes of TV news coverage on a grainy black and white television set. Um, well, Jeff, I was a student at UW Lacrosse. I returned to the dorm room after class, turned on the TV to watch a soap opera. It's a flashback that I can picture myself there in absolute disbelief. No question about it. And again, a lot of people who I'm getting texts from who were either in grade school or who were in college at the time when all of a sudden you saw this happen. So it, it seems like, in some respects, again, look, I, I understand if, if you, you know, aren't 38, 39, 40 years old, it's like, okay, it's something that's in, in, in the history books. I, I get it. But at the same time, if you were somebody who was alive at that time, even in grade school, it is something that is a vivid memory that's just etched into your consciousness, just like the JFK assassination is for me, just like 9-11 is for a lot of us, just like Pearl Harbor was. Was for our parents and our grandparents. In any event, I, I just I wanted to start off the program just by taking a walk down an unpleasant memory lane because um, I don't think that, that we don't want to forget this. Um, seven people lost their lives 36 years ago in what was the the first fatal accident involving an American spacecraft in flight, which demonstrates clearly that the risks that you have as we try to explore space. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have links to this story up. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And my question, which is somewhat rhetorical, is how much more of this are we going to tolerate? 
And, and don't answer because we, I guess the answer is we'll, we'll continue to tolerate all this because nobody seems to be willing to do anything about it. For the third time now in about two weeks, you have had a, a law enforcement member from the, the either Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department or yesterday Milwaukee police officer has now been, been shot. The first time was about two weeks ago when you had that off-duty police officer who tried to break up the carjacking that happened outside the restaurant in the third ward was shot multiple times by a guy who was, wait for it, out on bail and is now in the wind as they're trying to find him. Then you had the situation involving the sheriff's deputy who was shot a couple days ago after you had the guy who fled from the traffic stop and ultimately ended up killing himself. And then you have what happens yesterday. According to the police chief, Jeffrey Norman, who, by the way, I think is doing a pretty darn good job. All right, six, about 6.30 yesterday, Milwaukee police officer was dispatched to what a report of a sick or injured person in the 2100 block of West St. Paul Avenue. So this is down by the Marquette campus is where this is. So it, it's, it's basically a wellness check. So you, you have the police officer who the instructions are, hey, it, there, there's somebody who looks like they might be in distress or whatever, go check this out. The officer arrives, finds this individual slumped in the vehicle, who then gets out of the vehicle, waves a firearm at the police officer, and then takes off. And apparently there is then an exchange of gunfire. The police officer is is hit two or three times. Now, again, the, the good news about all this is that the officer sustained non-fatal injuries, but that's that that's only but for the grace of God. So for the third time in two weeks, you have somebody who opens fire on a police officer. After the exchange of gunfire, the shooter enters the squad car. So the guy gets in the cop's car. After he shot the police officer, he gets in the squad car and flees. Well, he doesn't flee very far. He crashes into another motorist in the 1700 block of West Clyburn Street. After crashing the police car, he then flees on foot. The the police are able to apprehend him. His gun was recovered inside the officer's squad car. Um, the suspect, 22-year-old male, non-fatal injuries in, in the gun battle with the police officer. Okay. Well, here's, here's the details that are just starting to emerge. And this story was first broken by the website Wisconsin Right Now, which has been all over these various stories. Wisconsin Right Now has identified who this 22-year-old guy was that got into the gun battle with the police. So let me just share with you a portion of the story. And again, I've got a link to it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's uh, at Jeff Wagner 620. But, but here's the deal. The guy who is suspected of shooting the Milwaukee police officer was wanted on a bench warrant in three open Milwaukee County felony cases that were filed in 2020 but dragged on and on in backlogged Milwaukee's county's court system. He was released in those cases, first on a signature bond, secondly on a $300 cash bail, and then on a $3,000 cash bail. In addition, he was arrested by Wauwatosa police on felony charges on September 23, 2021, according to the State Department of Justice. However, those charges, felony bail jumping, misdemeanor carrying of a concealed weapon, felony methamphetamine possession, were not prosecuted by the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office. Thank you, John Chisholm. Um, the three other cases 
were charged in 2020. So they, they end up, so you could say, okay, well, this guy was charged with all these different things in 2020 and continues to, like, reoffend every time they let him out. Well, you know, how was this? How could this happen? And it's various reasons, calendar congestion, COVID policy, defense attorney requests. But um, bottom line is the guy remained on the street to allegedly offend, and then reoffend, and then reoffend. By the time he was involved in the shooting last night, he had three open felony cases with multiple charges, including felony bail jumping. Now, the website Wisconsin right now goes through the guy's record. His first open felony case, March of 2020, he was charged with felony issuing, a felony fleeing an officer. He was released on a $500 cash bond. All right. Um, Then he didn't show up for court. A bench warrant was issued, but stayed until the next court date. Ultimately, the case was adjourned. Um, Nothing has happened on that case. Um, He didn't show up for felony operating a vehicle without motor an owner's consent, felony bail jumping, misdemeanor resisting an officer. Court Commissioner Alexis Ligans gave him a $300 bail, which he posted. So here you have a guy who's out on one charge, gets caught stealing a car. They let him loose on $300 bail. And then he was charged with a third felony case on August 25th of 2020, those charges were two counts of felony bail jumping, felony possession of narcotic drugs, fleeing an officer, causing damage to property, and driving or operating a vehicle without an owner's consent. So this is, again, after the guy commits crimes, is released on a stupid low bail. He then commits more crimes, is released on another stupid low bail. He commits even more crimes, and in this particular situation, they gave him a $3,000 cash bail, um, which he posted and has been out. Um, Ultimately, um, he doesn't show up, and a bench warrant is issued on October 11th, 2021. And then, of course, the website goes through the, the prior arrest record, not even looking at pending charges. And what you have is a 22-year-old career criminal who's been out on ridiculously low bails time and time again for things like auto theft and fleeing officers and drug offenses, and we keep turning him loose. And now, surprise follows surprise, yesterday he shoots a Milwaukee police officer on while out on bail. I have been saying for months and months that the, the situation involving the Waukesha Christmas Parade Massacre, where the guy is out on the stupid low bail who then drives and kills six people and injures dozens and dozens of more. The district attorney in Milwaukee County tried to throw one of the assistant district attorneys under the bus. Oh, oh, she screwed up with this. Well, she might have screwed up. But the point I have been making all along is that this, this is not an isolated mistake. This happens all the time. It's just nobody has been paying any attention to it. And now, because of what happened in the Waukesha situation, now we're starting to focus on time after time after time. Officers being shot, um, 
significant crimes occurring. And what are we finding? We're finding it's people who shouldn't have been out on bail in the first place who are committing these offenses over and over again. You read this guy's record, and you want to say, okay, the first time, maybe you give him bail, you give him a low bail, and you, you, you hope for the best. But after they commit crimes while they're out on bail, to simply turn them loose over and over again, it's not just irresponsible it is in my opinion it is immoral and that's precisely what happened it is only but for the grace of God that a police officer is not dead this morning after having been shot by somebody who had no business being on the streets in the first place and yet the DA's office and the court commissioners and the court system turned this guy loose to prey on the public how much more of this are we going to tolerate? If you want to see the guy's criminal record and you want to read this story, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the Wisconsin Right Now story where they're naming names, something that the media in this town has been reluctant to do because we don't want to ruffle feathers. We don't want to suggest that, gee, we've got a problem with this system. Well, okay, the suspected Milwaukee police shooter out on bail on three separate felony cases. Give me a break. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I, you almost don't know what to say about this stuff. The If you're just tuning in, Wisconsin right now, which is one of the local websites, is, is identifying the guy who was involved in shooting the Milwaukee police officer last night three times. Now, the good news is the police officer is going to survive. The guy is in custody. But at, at least according to the information that's being reported, the man who shot the police officer has a number of open felony cases. He's been released on bail three separate times. And, and look, it's, it's a little bit tough to make sense of this, so I don't want to overgeneralize. It appears to me, just a, a quick read of the guy's rap sheet and the history of this, is before the shooting last night, he had committed a crime, allegedly, been released on bail, then committed another crime, been released on a slightly higher but still stupid low bail, committed other crimes, and then been released on still a stupid low but slightly higher bail. Three separate allegations of criminal activity while out on bail. In addition, it gets a little confusing. It seems to me that on at least three and as many as five occasions while the guy was out on bail, he failed to show up for court appearances. And, and, and then, you know, they had to issue bench warrants and catch him. To which it makes me wonder, what the hell is going on in Milwaukee County Circuit Court? Now, I wonder that a lot. I mean, if I were a judge... All right, you set bail. The first time somebody doesn't show up for the bail, it's really easy. The bail, I mean, we're going to talk about bail in the next hour of the program and a proposal that's way overdue in the legislature. But even if you want to take the most liberal progressive view of, of bail possible, 
and and be like John Chisholm and try not to hold people accountable and not incarcerate people. I mean, the purpose of bail is to make sure that people show up, right, among other things. Well, all right, you let somebody out on a stupid low bail. They don't show up for a court appearance. Really easy. That demonstrates that that bail isn't enough to keep them. So what you do is you issue a bench warrant, you revoke the bail, and you let them sit in jail until their case is disposed of. I mean, how many kicks at the can do you want to give these criminals? Well, in Milwaukee, apparently we give them as many kicks at the cat as they possibly want and again the larger point of this isn't this particular case although I think this case is yet another example of of the outrage that's there and again look at look at the guy that's on the lamb right now after shooting the off-duty police officer while he was engaged in the carjacking I mean th- these are all people that are wanted they are dangerous they should not have been out on the street in the first place and yet they they are out there preying on people and if they're willing to shoot cops they're willing to do pretty much anything I would argue and it's just the tip of the iceberg and I wonder at what point in time are we going to say you know enough is enough and like I said in my Twitter account I'm going to keep asking this question until I get a good answer how many more crimes committed by criminals turned loose on ridiculously low bails are we going to tolerate before we say enough is enough now Tony Evers says he's not going to remove John Chisholm okay elections have consequences in Milwaukee County I mean I don't know that there's going to be any input or pressure to do a recall of Chisholm because of his policies and stuff. And heck, as far as I know, if he runs for re-election three years from now, he'll probably even get re-elected. But how many more people are going to be victimized? How many more people are going to be are going to die before we recognize that we can't continue to do this. Jeff, I can't believe I'm texting about an attack on police twice in one week. John Chisholm clearly doesn't give a rat's behind about law-abiding citizens in the city, and it is time we get outraged. How is this acceptable? And the answer is no, it's not acceptable. Jeff, this is so sad. I cannot understand our legal system and our district attorney. Um, no. Jeff, the guy is a good customer. That's why he gets discounted bail. Bad joke. I, I know it. Jeff, the criminals seem to have more rights than the people of Milwaukee's rights to a safe city, according to the DAs and the judges. Now is the time for new judges and a new DA. They are failing everyone in the city. Well, I think there's an element of that. Jeff, how about we use a budget surplus, not for more police, but to build more jails to hold law make breakers? Well, I, I think you can end up doing both on th- this whole thing. Jeff, thanks for calling out these things. It's outrageous that these criminals get low bail, or in some cases, any bail. And again, this story, here's what really strikes me about this one. It's not just an argument about stupid low bail for the first offense, but it's a guy who commits crimes, allegedly, is released on bail, commits more crimes, is released on bail, commits even more crimes, and is still turned loose. What are we missing here? What don't we understand about the danger that these guys pose to the community? And interesting, like I say, there's multiple occasions where he failed to appear as well, and they had to issue bench warrants, and yet we bend over backwards to not lock these people up. And what are the consequences? The consequences are police officers shot. The consequences are people carjacked. The consequences are cars stolen, innocent people being victims of crime 
criminals who shouldn't be out in the first place. All right, when we come back in just a couple minutes, a couple Republican legislatures have a proposal that I think is long overdue. We're going to discuss it because there's some in the progressive community who are appalled. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, lest you think what we were talking about just a little while ago was just, again, one of these aberrations. Jeff, it really can't be that bad. Well, let me just keep reminding you of some of the things that are that are going on. Now, remember a couple weeks ago you had the story of the guy who tried to carjack the the woman outside the Shake Shack and this was the Shake Shack of course is a very popular restaurant at the heart of the third ward this happened like 2 30 in the afternoon I think two weeks ago Thursday I think is when it was and you have the guy pulled the woman gets out of the car to go in I think she's driving for DoorDash or something like that pulls up to, to go in she's got her kids in the car the guy um, jumps out of a car which was stolen that's driven by a couple of his other low-life criminal buddies what he does is he tries to steal the car she sees the car being stolen they, they end up getting into a struggle there's an off-duty Milwaukee police officer who's just picking up food he sees this he goes to grab the guy they, they tussle and the man his name is Keeson Brown Keeson Ellis Brown shoots him multiple occasions now again the good news is the off-duty deputy is going to survive but it's just for the grace of God and then Keyshawn Brown goes into the wind he, he runs he runs away and of course the dazzling detail is he, he of course surprise follows surprise he was out on bail in another case released on a $1,000 bail to go and, in this case, try to murder a police officer. The pending case that he was out on dates back to October 26th of last year. Here's what happened. Two Milwaukee police officers were advised that there were subjects inside a Kia Sportage that was in the Culver's parking lot on 55th and Fond du Lac and that they were wanted in connection with a shooting that occurred at Culver's a few days before. So they pull over, the cops come out, they see the Kia traveling at a high rate of speed and driving erratically. The cops pursue the Kia. It goes 90 miles an hour in and out of traffic, drives on a sidewalk, blows through a stoplight and a stop sign, almost causes accidents. The pursuit continues 3.1 miles through Milwaukee. The driver of the Kia flees on foot, holding a pistol after the Kia crashed into a tree at 42nd and, ha- and Capitol. The officer orders the driver to stop and drop the firearm. The guy doesn't. Driver goes behind a gas station, runs through an alley, runs through yards, ultimately apprehended, identified as Keyshawn Ellis Brown. Firearm located underneath the car. Front p- uh, passenger also taken into custody. The Kia, of course, was stolen. So here you have a guy who's believed to be involved in a shooting, driving a stolen car, flees from the cops, armed to the teeth, runs from the cops. Court Commissioner Grace Flynn releases him on a $1,000 bail. Well, I'll bet you she's popping her buttons on this because this is the guy that is now in the wind after shooting the Milwaukee County deputy two weeks ago. And this is just part of this ongoing pattern where we let dangerous people out over and over and over again to commit crimes. And at some point in time, somebody in this community has to stand up and say enough is enough, which brings me 
to a bail reform package that is being introduced in the legislature. State Senator Julian Bradley, who is from Franklin, and uh, Chuck uh, Wickers, who is from Muskego, he's in the Assembly, they've announced this bail reform package, and there's many different elements to this. But here's the one I really want to talk about. They say that for people who have committed a felony or a violent misdemeanor before, who are back in court. So this isn't your first kick at the cat. This is somebody who, okay, is either out on bail for a violent felony, violent misdemeanor or a felony, or has a record of doing that. Their requirement would be a minimum, minimum bond of at least $10,000 for defendants who have previously committed a felony or a violent misdemeanor. Now it goes on and they have all sorts of other elements as well, but the bottom line is they're saying, okay, look, we're not going to let these ridiculously low bails be set so that you can have these progressive court commissioners who decide that they're going to turn people loose to commit crime after crime after crime. So minimum threshold, once you've got a criminal record, if you do something again, you're going to have to look at the defendant's history, consider protecting society, and in this case, okay, $10,000 is the minimum. Now, does this mean that some people are going to stay in jail while they're waiting for their cases to be heard? Yeah, it does. But you know what? It also means that those people aren't going to be out committing crimes while their case while they're waiting to be sent to prison on the crimes that they've already committed. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, predictably, you've got some of the usual suspects who are just all outraged. This this is, for example, State Representative Sylvia Ortez Velez says the bills are non starter for hers and fellow de- for her and fellow Democrats. These bills overall are deeply concerning. Um, it, it would create more obstacles for the court system and for the DA's office. You know, okay, it will keep uh, more people, predominantly people of color and poor individuals, in custody. Well, I, I don't know. It's going to commit people. It's going to keep people with criminal records who have allegedly committed other crimes. It's going to keep them in custody. But isn't this a good thing? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, we can't trust the judges and the court commissioners to do the right thing. So the state legislature says, fine, here's the deal. Minimum bail, 10000 bucks. If you commit, if you have a criminal record and you're accused of committing another crime. I have no problem with it. How about you? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As as a number of you are pointing out on the text line, it is extremely disappointing that some of these progressive legislators who oppose what to me is common sense bail reform to keep dangerous people in jail while their cases are being adjudicated instead of turning them back out on the streets on stupid low bail to commit more crimes are so willing to play the the race card. Oh, this is going to incarcerate more people of color. No, what it's going to do is it's going to protect the communities. And these bail laws apply to people regardless of what their their color is. It's not like it says, okay, if you are 
certain color or you are of a certain ethnicity, you know, you this only applies to you. No, it applies to people with criminal records who are accused of committing more crimes. And it says instead of just this revolving door where we turn you loose on a stupid low bail to go shoot a police officer or carjack a woman or steal cars or commit burglaries or assaults or whatever, it, it says, yes, if you have this prior record and you do something else, yes, we're not going to just turn you loose on a signature bond or some stupid low bond that you're not go- and then when you don't show up for that hearing we're just going to you know let it go now that's what this says and i guess i find it offensive that you've got people who are even willing to play the race card on something like this especially given the fact that it is some of of those communities some of the minority communities that are hit hardest by crime and you would think that legislators who rec- represent those communities would want to do everything they can to make their law-abiding citizens, the constituents, as safe as possible. 855-616-1620, Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Um, I don't think a minimum of 10000 is enough. Um, I would rather see 25000 so it really hurts. And the people who are going to be against it are the ones who will say, well, then you don't have enough room in the jail. Well, then you take the nonviolent criminals that are in jail and you put them on an ankle bracelet and you let them out to make room for the violent criminal. I think you need to hit these people and hit them hard and no more of the softball playing with them. And if they're going to complain about 25000 guess what? Don't do the crime. It's, it's pretty simple. You know, you know, Mike. Thanks for calling. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, here, here's the the bottom line of this. You have to, in my opinion, you have to say that there's consequences, and and you have to mean it, right? And and look, and I understand. And I've been more than willing to say this. I understand that if we want to get a handle on the out of control crime in our community. And in some of the larger urban areas, we have to be willing to make a commitment to, wait for it, build more prisons and hire more prison guards. But I think most law-abiding citizens are willing to do that. I think that, you know, because people want to be safe. And we're sick of these things where you can't leave. There's still there's 25 cars a day stolen on the streets of Milwaukee, for goodness sake. 25 cars a day. And when's the last time you saw any car thief get prosecuted and get any significant length of time? No, the, the judges won't do it, so the legislature needs to step in and put in mandatory minimum penalties. And I understand that means you've got to build more jails, and I understand that means you've got to build more prisons. I, I get it, but I believe that if it takes, if you want to look at expenditures of taxpayer dollars, and you want to say to me, gee, Jeff, how could we best spend $100 million? Would it be extending the Milwaukee trolley line for another two and a half miles so that you can have that yuppie people mover, or would it be building facilities to put dangerous people in and or create a deterrent to people who are out there committing crimes? See, that that's that's what it's all about because unless and until we get serious about this we're we're just going to continue to live with it and and it's going to be lip service it's getting worse and worse two years ago you had 190 homicides in the city of milwaukee last year you had 194 these are unthinkable numbers and and right now i didn't pull up the numbers for today but uh at this time last year as of yesterday i think we had eight we've already got 23 
And, and people are dying right and left. And, and these stories I've been talking about with the police officers being shot, again, it's there but for the grace of God. Those could have just as easily been homicides. I mean, anytime somebody gets shot, it's more just a matter of happenstance, luck, emergency medicine or whatever, that, that you don't end up dead. I mean, and so it's just, it's been absolutely nothing but a miracle that these three officers who've been shot over the course of the last couple weeks are, are going to all survive. And by the way, I don't mean to minimize, it's not that, you know, shooting a police officer, that the police officer's life is necessarily more valuable than anybody else's. But my point is, if you're willing to shoot a police officer, if you're willing to shoot a cop, you're willing to do just about, I think, anything that, that's out there. And when you look at this and you talk to police officers, you talk to people in the system, they will tell you that the vast majority of people are honest and law-abiding, but you have a criminal class that's out there, and that criminal class doesn't care about, you know, the, 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 there's just no sense of right and wrong. You have people that are amoral. And I look, I you know, you can have a discussion as to what causes this and, you know, what, what are the societal factors that lead to it. And that's for smarter people than me. All I know is once you make the decision to carjack people or steal cars repeatedly or start to commit these crimes, at that point in time, whatever your motivation is, society has an obligation to protect itself from you. And my point has always been, I'm a big believer in what we call the broken windows philosophy of law enforcement, and that is that when people do bad stuff, you've got to hold them accountable. And no processing cases, and secret and double secret probation, and triple secret probation, and a three-year sentence that is then suspended and you do 60 days in the house of correction, that's not getting it done. You've got to recognize that today's criminal is undaunted by these minor slaps on the wrist, so you've got to remove them from society for at least a period of time, hope they learn their lesson, and if they don't, then you remove them from society for a longer period of time. But law-abiding taxpayers deserve no more, and they deserve no less. This, this bail reform bill, I think, is a reasonable first step. And for people who are bemoaning this and saying, oh, this is, this is just terrible, and this is going to affect people of color or things of the like, the the criminals in many cases are affecting communities that are primarily minority communities and my guess is if you took a survey of most of the people that live there that are trapped in some of these communities because you've got drug houses on the blocks and you've got crime and you've got all this going on they would applaud a system that removed that criminal element from their neighborhoods from their blocks so they could live the life that everybody is entitled to living this this is a good first step. I think there needs to be a lot more done, but I, I think the Republican legislators are on the right track. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I just love the intolerance of the of the cancel culture. Now, look, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know, I, I, I'm a vaccine guy. I got vaccinated, got boosted. I, I think it, it makes sense for people to do that. I, I don't understand the people who've decided not to. But at the same time, it's a decision that, that they've made. And, and I love the fact how intolerant people have gotten. Don't know if you know who Evangeline Lilly is. She's a Canadian actress. She was on the TV show Lost. 
list. She's probably best known for, she plays the, the superhero char- character, the Wasp, in like the Avengers movies and the Ant-Man and the Wasp movies and things like that. She's getting all sorts of static and all sorts of uh, pressure that Marvel Studios should cancel her because she attended this anti-vaccine mandate rally in D.C. last weekend. And, and, and her point of view was, I just don't think government should tell people that they have to get vaccinated. So there's this huge outrage. Oh, you can't put her in these roles anymore because she dares to say that she doesn't think that there should be a vaccine mandate. Have we really, and again, this is from the perspective of somebody who thinks people should get vaccinated. I think it's a choice that you should make, but I also don't believe that the government should be pulling people out of houses and forcing them to get vaccinated against their will. I think not getting vaccinated is a dumb individual decision to make, but okay, we, we all make our different decisions, and I certainly don't think that this woman should be canceled, that she should she, she shouldn't be able to perform in Marvel films or be cast in TV shows because she has the audacity to oppose ma- vaccine mandates. It's this intolerance of the cancel culture that just, I admit, makes me crazy from time to time and makes you understand why some people kind of dig in their heels when it comes to stuff like this. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the things that that always eh, irritates me is when we get knee-jerk reactions and and somebody says, I'm not going to do this because, okay, it wasn't my guy or my gal that that came up with the idea. Just a a little example of that is I see, you know, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, and I am, I, I I think that, look, I, I know there's some people who say he's got no chance to win. As I've argued before, when, when you start examining the record and the resumes and the, the, you know, where a number of the people that are challenging Ron Johnson are on the political scale, I, I think you're going to see that this is going to be a very, very close race and that I would not be surprised at all if Ron Johnson wins. But every once in a while, I mean, he channels stuff. I, I do not understand why he picks certain fights or there's some knee-jerk reactions. For example, um, they ask him yesterday about, you know, will he vote for whoever it is that that Joe Biden nominates to the Supreme Court? And his response was, I have a hard time believing I'm going to vote for anybody that President Biden will nominate. And I I guess my my initial reaction to it was that that's an unfortunate comment. And, And you get that from, you know, you got that from the left as well. There was no way, for example, Tammy Baldwin was going to vote for anybody that Donald Trump nominated. But nevertheless, the for the Supreme Court, but the the president gets to make their nominations. And I I think the better response for Senator Johnson would have been to say, well, I'm going to see who it is he nominates, and I'm going to take advantage to meet with him, and then I'm, I'm going to decide, recognizing that the president has a particular prerogative, and I'm going to decide whether I think they fit within the mainstream of people that belong to the court. That's, to me, the, the better response, as opposed to simply saying, well, you know, be, because it's Donald Trump that's doing this, there's no way I can support it. Or because it's Joe Biden that's doing this, there's no way I can support it. Because here, here's the truth. You know, even though it comes from another party, the other party, it, it might not necessarily be a bad idea. And we've gotten away from that. There, there's something like that that I think is going on in Wisconsin right now. Now, Tony Evers announced yesterday, we, we've got this big state surplus, which is 
actually largely courtesy of the fact that the Republican legislature didn't give in to a lot of his crazy spending things that he wanted to do in, in his last budget. But there, there's a big there's a big surplus that, that's out there. So Evers has come up with ideas as to how to spend it. Some of the ideas are, are, are non-starters. He wants to funnel $750 million into education. Well, that's that's not going to happen. At least it's not going to happen right now. But one of the things that Evers wants to do is he wants to give every Wisconsin resident, regardless of age or income, he wants to give them a $150 tax rebate. Now, this this notion was kind of surfaced. Scott Walker had a variation of this in 2018. What Walker wanted to do and ended up doing is giving people a, a hundred, I think it was a hundred dollar child care tax credit. Now it didn't go to every Wisconsinite. You had to have, you had to have kids that, that qualified, but, but he gave the money away. I went through this yesterday. I went back and pulled up some of the clips from 2018, listening to what some of the Democrats said when Walker did it. And keep in mind, 2018 was an election year. And you had these Democrats who were saying, this is nothing but election year bribery. He's just trying to buy his way into office. He might as well stand in the polling place and, and hand out checks. Well, they, they ended up doing it. And I supported that at the time because I thought it was the right idea and the right thing to do. You had extra money. Give the dough back to the people who, who paid for it. Well, in this particular case, Tony Evers, we have extra money. So what is Tony Evers doing? Well, he wants to give $150 of our money. He wants to return it. Give it back is probably the wrong phrase. He wants to return it. And you've got a number of Republicans who are already saying this is a non-starter. Well, some aspects of his proposal might be a non-starter. But what's wrong with taking that $150 and, and giving it back. Now, I agree that we need to have a, a broader look at tax reform in the state and things like that, but if we can if we can put $150 more into the pocket of every Wisconsinite right now, why wouldn't we do it? And doesn't does it really matter whether it's Evers' idea in an election year or whether it was Scott Walker's idea in an election year four years ago? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, it's $150. I think if you've got that extra money, it's a good idea to send it back. And I don't care whether it's Scott Walker's or Tony, Scott Walker or Tony Evers or Rebecca Clayfish. I don't care who's doing it or Kevin Nicholson. I'm just glad to get it done. All right, should we oppose Evers' effort to send $150 back to every Wisconsinite in the very near future? 855-616-1620. My comment is, I can think of how to spend 150 times two, my wife and I. I wouldn't mind having that $300. How about you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It, it was just so interesting to me that when, when Scott Walker wanted to do a variation of this in 2018, when, when there was a surplus, he wanted to give $100 back in, in child care credits to, to people. Actually, Walker's proposal first was 150 then it got lowered down to 100 But you had the Democrats who were absolutely outraged. Oh, this is terrible. This is nothing but a vote-buying scheme, etc. So now we've got even more of a surplus. The Rainy Day Fund has more money in it than it's ever had. And Tony Evers says, among other things, I want to give $150 back to every Wisconsin resident. And now you've got the Republicans saying, no, this is absolutely a non-starter. Now, there's other aspects of the Evers proposal that I would agree with this non-starter. But 
okay, if, if government in the form of taxes takes more than it needs and we have a surplus, shouldn't that go back to the people who paid it? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Kurt and Nina. Kurt, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Governor Dreyfus did this a number of years ago, like uh, the early 1980s or something, where they sent all these checks back to people, but they found out after a while that it cost more money to uh, cut, calculate, and cut those checks than what the whole system was worth. Don't do that. Just put it in a rainy day fund. If you want to do something practical, replace those lead pipes in Milwaukee, for crying out loud, and save those people down there from all that lead poisoning. Okay, so Kurt, let me ask you this. Let's say um, you get your you get your uh, you get your phone bill. Let's your your phone bill, and your phone bill they charge you two hundred bucks. So you pay the two hundred bucks, and then they, they've realized they've made a mistake, and they should have only charged you seventy five. Do you think they should be able to keep that that hundred and twenty five dollar difference, or do you want your money well, back? It's a private company. Yeah, well, yeah, but, but you want your money back, right? Different problem. Well, I don't know. Well, I mean, you put it in the you, put it in the rainy days. <laughs> well, know, okay. and, and do something uh, well, practical with. Well, okay. Well, th- okay. Thanks for call. I guess this is. I mean, the rainy day fund has more money in it than apparently it's ever had. That that's my understanding. And so, I mean, see, I guess here, I I don't think that. I mean, look, I understand government is different, but you know, our, our taxes are based on, okay, these are what expenses are going to be. That That's what it's based on. And if for whatever reason it turns out that we've taken more in taxes from people than people need or that they anticipated, I mean, I guess the question is, yes, you, you could spend it on, on other sorts of things. But then we're going to have an argument as to, all right, you know, you might say put it in roads. I might say put it in prisons. Um, somebody else, Tony Evers, wants to put it into education. You want to do all that stuff. But a portion of that, shouldn't it go back if it was overpaid? And I guess I, I don't think even though I don't think my phone company example is, is that far off because you paid, we paid more than we ended up you know, needing to pay. And so I, I think that it's fair to send some of that money back. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm with you. I think the portion of the surplus should be returned. Now, the, the caller ahead of me mentioned Governor Dreyfus doing this. It seems to me that Governor Tommy Thompson also distributed excess funds to the citizens of uh, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I believe so. Sure. Uh, yes, I think on two occasions. Yeah. I think off the top of my head, could be wrong, but I don't. Th- I think that's correct. Yeah. So, so it's hardly a radical idea. I think it's a pretty much of a mainstream idea. Well, right, it, exactly, and and you know, one of our the, and our caller was talking about the the cost of, of giving it back exceeds it. I, I now I find now I look I, I understand like how messed up our unemployment system was. So maybe maybe I'm incorrect in this, but I find it hard to believe that the cost of sending my wife and I uh, three hundred dollars in a rebate check for taxes that we quote unquote overpaid that the cost of that is going to be more than three hundred dollars to send it back. I just I, I mean, and if that's the case, that is really a scandal as well. To, to me, this doesn't seem to me that it's that huge an expense with the automation we have to get the money back to where it belongs. I, I was just going to say automation is 
increased by leaps and bounds since the 1980s when Dreyfus was governor. <laughs> yeah. no, no, Dennis, thank, thank, thanks for the call. And again, I, I, I understand that, see, and I'm, I'm getting all these texts from people, and everybody's got a different idea as to what we could do with the surplus. Everybody, some people are saying, okay, let's, let's, let's put it into roads, let's put it into prisons, let's, let's put it into, the call, first caller was talking about, let's put it into lead pipes in Milwaukee or, or whatever. Somebody could say, let's put it in transportation, let's build, let's use this surplus to, you know, e- extend the Milwaukee trolley down to the airport uh, you know let, let's do all these different things and, and you know people can argue about you know where if if you've got extra money you know where should you spend it okay that that's fine we can have that conversation but in the interim you know i don't think there's anything wrong with giving people back a portion of the money that they've paid 855-616-1620 david in appleton hi david you're on wtmj Good afternoon, Jeff. I first off, my, my I told you my screen. I told your screener first off that you, it would be a nice down payment on the brand new state of the art prison up in the north woods of <laughs> Wisconsin, where you can put all these yahoos we've been talking about on a daily basis. Yep. But and then pursuant to that, if you're going to give back one hundred and fifty dollars, not to everybody, only to people that actually pay taxes, not people that are living on the dime already. Only the people that actually paid into the taxes and haven't been getting tax-supported food stamps, rent, whatever. Just those you know, guys like us that are out there working every day. Yeah, that's the one thing I am unclear about, about the proposal, is whether there's any limitation on on this at all. I mean, do you have to be somebody who's who's paying taxes in order to get a tax rebate or not? Um, so your thing would be give the money back in this fashion, but only to people who paid it into the first place, as opposed to just this is another form of the stimulus check exactly. and we're going to give it to you regardless. Yeah, thanks. I think that's, that's fair enough. And to be honest with you, I, I don't know the, the scope of – of this, whether he intends $150 to every man, woman, and child, regardless of and, and what the cutoff would be. And I think that that's perhaps a fair question, and maybe that's something that you pare stuff down at the end. But I guess my, my point of the topic here is, and, and it, it's been a little bit disconcerting, because in, in 2018, when the Republicans wanted to do it, like I say, Democrats just lined up. No, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. This is awful. This is, you know, Scott Walker trying to buy votes. And then in 2022, when you've got Tony Evers wanting to do this, you've got Republicans lining up saying, no, no, don't do this. Well, if it was a good idea when Walker wanted to do it in 2018, it, it seems to me it's still a good idea when Evers wants to do it in 2022. And, and that that's that's my only point about this, really, that it's this kind of situational stuff. If our guy or our gal decides it's, they want to do it, well, then it's a good idea. If the other side wants to do it, it's not. At some point in time, I, I think you got to say, whoa, let's, let's figure out, does it make sense or not? And as far as just amassing huge surpluses, do I think that you should have a rainy day fund? Of course. I, I think that's responsible, and I, I think you know Wisconsin's been a leader as far as, as doing that because you never know when there's going to be that, that shortfall. But once you fund the rainy day fund, just pouring money into that, uh, to me, like, like I say, at some point in time, it, it's my dough. I want it back. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. <laughs> And this is Jeff Wagner. All I would say is meet the new boss. 
pretty much the same as the old boss. I, I told you yesterday about how there was a proposal in front of the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission in, in an effort to take a baby step, in my opinion, towards combating reckless driving. The, the Fire and Police Commission was considering a rule which would allow officers who make a traffic stop to tow the vehicle in question if the vehicle is unregistered and if the car was involved in speeding for at least uh, over 25 miles an hour over the limit, in dangerous safety for reckless driving, fleeing from an officer, or drag racing. Now, we, you know, we, we discussed this yesterday, and I thought this was a good idea. I understand it's not a magic bullet because if the car is stolen, that, that's not going to necessarily apply to this, and it, it's not going to necessarily stop the person from stealing a car and doing it. But, but nevertheless, I, my argument was I, I think you should be able to tow any car, whether it, who's involved in any of these things, registered or unregistered. But but the unregistered car, this is a baby step. seemed to me it was a good idea. Well, the, the Fire and Police Commission in Milwaukee, which is this is the same Fire and Police Commission, at least as an entity, that remember, you know, they, they ended up illegally getting rid of Chief Al Morales, and then there was this vacuum in leadership for the better part of a year, and a number of those police commissioners are gone, so you've got the new commission. The Fire and Police Commission yesterday deadlocked on this, this what I think is a simple, straightforward effort to let cops tow unregistered cars. A couple of the commissioners voted in favor of it, but two commissioners uh, dissented. Um, one, one of them, Amanda Avalo, said, I'm a believer that solutions should start with resources and services. I don't think this will be the solution that it's meant to be. I have no idea what that means. I doubt that she has any idea what that means. All right, the, the problem is you've got people driving unregistered cars in a reckless sort of fashion. This at least helps get that car off the street for a little while. I have no idea what she's talking about. Joan Kessler, who is a very, very, very liberal former judge, um, she says, I think it would be a mistake to adopt the changes without doing community outreach to let people know this is what's coming. Um, <laughs> what, what exactly? So here, here, we, you know, we don't want to give the police this tool to make the streets safer until we've communicated to the people that are endangering people on the street. Oh, hey, by the way, you know, your car, if you're driving it, it's unregistered. You're driving 95 miles an hour. You blow through a stop slight, lead the stop sign, lead the cops on a chase, go through red lights, damn near hit people. Well, we're not going to tow that unregistered car. Car. We're not going to let them do that until we've done community outreach to let people know that this is what's coming. Like the people that are going to do this are going to give a rat's rump about that one way or the other. I, I tell you, the, the way some of this bleeding heart stuff goes and people bending over backwards in order to try to justify bad behavior. No, we can't do this because we want to give the people that are going to drive 95 miles an hour through a red light. We want to make sure they have notice that if they're in the car that's unregistered and they drive 95 miles an hour and they go through the red light, we're going to tow the car. Oh, okay. Like, oh, like, like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to do this because my car might get towed. I, you just, you just wonder where some people get some of these ideas. And meanwhile, the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission spins its wheels. And again, nobody does anything about unregistered, uh, the cars and the reckless driving. And you wonder why we don't get stuff done. 
Well, again, it looks like the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission, new members, same old problems. Lots of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the show. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, I think this might be a record. This is the first time in a long time that we have gone an entire week. And aside from an isolated reference here or there, we have... We have not talked about COVID a- at all, and it's just it's kind of the way things have, have, have come up, but we're, we're going to continue that um, for the last hour of the program this week. Uh, no, no COVID conversations. The news is that, that the pandemic appears to be peaking, and I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that people should take their eye off the ball or anything, but, but it looks like things are getting at least a little bit better, and that is certainly good news. I was listening to Greg's sportscast, and he was talking about how the Bucks play the Knicks tonight. I, I just... I always say this, and at any given time, I always I always have two or three books going that I'm reading, and, and, and right now, I actually have three really good ones, and it's one of these where I, I'll read like a chapter or two in this one book, and then I'll want to continue, but then I want to go back to my other, and I've, I've got three books right now that I'm reading, and I highly recommend all three of them. One is a book that one of my close friends, Joe, gave me. Um, it's called Devotion, and it's by a guy named Adam Makos, and it's a, it's a real true-life story about the these two pilots in the Korean War. Um, it, it's just, it, it's an amazing story. It's incredibly well written. And I, I, I kind of, I'm not exactly sure how it all ends, but I, I'm into that. I, I'm reading a book called The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel. And this is, it's from a couple years ago. It's the, it's the third in a trilogy she's written. It's kind of like historical fiction involving Thomas Cromwell, who was in the court of Henry VIII and ends up, um, as many people who were in the court of Henry VIII ends up not not particularly well, but this is the third book, and it, it, that's it's an interesting read. And, and then I just started this a couple days ago. Three books at any one given time are about my limit, but I was thinking of this when Greg was talking about how the New York Knicks are coming to town. It's a new book that's just out. It's called Blood in the Garden, and it's. It's a book about the New York Knickerbockers in the 1990s, and this is when they had Patrick, Patrick Irving, Pat Irving, Patrick Irving, and and uh, uh, Pat Riley was the coach, and and you know they were trying to compete with the Detroit Pistons and the uh, Michael Jordan era. And you don't have to be a New York Knicks fan; you don't even really have to be a, a basketball fan to get wrapped up into this. But it's just it's a fascinating read. And so if, if you're a sports fan, I would highly recommend it. But if you're just a, a fan of, I don't know, just interpersonal relationships and how you motivate a team and different philosophies, it's, it's really good. It's a very entertaining read as well. So I'm now at the point where I'm thinking, boy, all, all this stuff like this real life and this job, all these things get in my way because I, I'd like to sit down and I'd like to spend more time you know, reading these various books. So if you're looking to while away, now that the Packers are out of the playoffs and you're looking for a couple of recommendations of some books to while away the time, any of these three books would be great. If you're a military history buff, devotion, go with that. If you like historical fiction, Mirror and the Light and the other two books in that trilogy are great. And if you're a sports fan or something, Blood in the Garden, which is a new book out, highly recommend all of those various books. Okay, Wall Street Journal has a new uh, story out today. What they do every year is they assess the various airlines 
and they, they have a number of criteria, and they come out with a list of the best and worst U.S. airlines. This year, for example, this is the 14th year that they've done it, and their criteria, um, they look at things like on-time arrivals, canceled flights, extreme delays, mishandled baggage, involuntary bumping, two-hour tarmac delays, things like, like that. And they come out, uh, here, here's the order, I won't make you wait for this, rankings of major carriers in key operational areas, best to worst. Number one is Delta Airlines. They rank number one in all these different categories. And, and this isn't, it doesn't, they, they don't consider like where you fly. They don't consider um, price and things like that. It's just all these other things. Delta Airlines is number one. Alaska Airlines is number two. Southwest is number three. United is number four. Allegiant is number five. American and Frontier are tied for six and seven. Spirit is number eight, and bringing up the rear is is JetBlue. Spirit and JetBlue being kind of like what I would describe as the the greyhounds of the sky. You know, um, they they get you where you're going, hopefully, but it's it's absolutely no thrills, no frills at all. I I was. I was thinking about this because I know as we, we come into the the dog days of winter and stuff, people are looking to escape. They're looking to find, you know, um, again, warm weather vacations to just, you know, see the sun and things like that for a little while. And, and you look and you consider lots of things when it comes to air travel. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to have a little bit of fun in this segment. When you are, when you're deciding what airline to fly or what airline not to fly. When you're looking to book air travel, what's your number one consideration? Is it cost? Is it on-time performance? Is it bags fly-free? Is it business class? When, When you're looking to decide where to go, 855-616-1620, 855-616-1620, what, what is the number one factor that you look at before anything else? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know what it is for me. What is it for you? How important is, what is the most important thing in deciding what, what airline you're going to choose? 855-616-1620, we discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. All right, the Wall Street Journal is out with its annual survey of airlines, and Delta does well, Southwest does well. There are two of the top three, um, but but they're they're looking at criteria like on-time arrivals and canceled flights and extreme delays and things like that, lost baggage. My, my question is, when you're booking a flight, and you've got different airlines to choose from. What what is your number one priority? Look, and I understand sometimes you sometimes you really don't have that much of a choice if you're going to a location and you don't have different alternatives. But you know, all being things being equal, what's the most important thing for you? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Bill in Fond du Lac. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm good. Okay, so you're booking my the flight. What's the most my important? Priority is my my schedule. Um, I need to be there for usually traveling for work, and so I need to be there. Uh, usually I can get a reasonable price, but that's secondary to the scheduling. And I used to be much more loyal to our friends at Delta, but uh, you know what? Most airlines are pretty much the same these days. 
and uh, haven't had any horror experiences with one over another. Yeah, so good enough. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. When, when you say your schedule, I would say, for me, that's probably the first thing I I look at is is nonstop flights. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that other factors don't play in, but every... Every really bad experience I've had on an airplane has involved like like making connections where your flight is delayed, so all of a sudden you end up in this airport halfway between where you started and where you're going, and you're snowed in there and things like that, um, or you, you miss the flight, it's overnight, whatever. The first thing I always look at, matter of fact, I yesterday I was looking at some some flight times. I, I thought I might have to take a trip. As it turns out, I don't have to, but I, I was kind of looking, and it's like, okay, well, there's eight or nine different options, but only one of them is nonstop. And and to me, that that nonstop option would be one of the big factors. Now, I'm not saying that other things don't play into effect, but I I know exactly what he's talking about. I, I'm first of all, I'm looking at nonstop. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Maggie in Sheboygan. Maggie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Afternoon. What do you think? My big thing is. Not American. I've been stranded by American more times than I can count. And I loved it that we had already missed our flight times by the time we boarded one flight in Milwaukee. Oh, oh. so you had connecting flights, and it's just it, it's been a nightmare for you huh, on that airline, huh? Always American. Great. Interesting. Is great. American, I don't win. Oh. Okay, well, thank, thanks for calling, Maggie. Okay, here's the American. I don't mean I didn't mean to do this as a as a way of picking on different airlines because I, other people have different experiences. American of of this is ten. There's, so there's um, no there's nine airlines that are rated nine big airlines, and American and Frontier, which is kind of a discount. American and Frontier are are tied for sixth, which means they're also tied for seventh. Um, let's see. Um, American does. Very poorly in two-hour tarmac delays. They do very poorly in mishandled uh, baggage. Those those are the worst things. They don't do very good with uh, canceled flights as well. So um, these are in the different ratings that are there. So there, there's a little bit of work there. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Okay, let's go to our text line. Lots of text. Jeff, nonstop flights. I'm with you, Jeff. I'm six four. It's all about leg room, and they are all miserable. Yeah, I don't. I'm six one. And it's these these planes as they've put more people on them, and they've the seats have kind of gotten smaller. They're really not built for. I'm sure they're not built for people who are six four. They're they're not built for somebody who's six one and two hundred pounds um, either. Jeff, my primary considerations are schedule nonstop when possible, leg room. I'm six four on time performance and then price. Call me atypical. No, I, I, I don't know. That, that that's it. Now again, you know, I for people who are listening, when you say price, I mean obviously I'm not gonna. There, there's a certain threshold that's out there, and I don't know exactly what it is. I, I mean, would I spend three hundred dollars more for a, a flight that's non-stop to go somewhere? Well, well, no. I, but um, 
generally speaking, I guess I, I haven't found the non-stops to be that much more pricey. And, and you know, for me, I fly Southwest mostly because Southwest goes to most of the places I go to, whether it's in Florida or whether it's Las Vegas or other places. Southwest goes there. They have direct flights, and I use a Southwest credit card, so you, you accumulate the points um, with that. So it makes sense. But I, I mean, I've flown Delta. Whenever you fly into Key West, if you're going go to if you're gonna fly to Key West, which is one of my happy places, you you know you fly from Milwaukee to Atlanta and then change planes. Jeff, for me, it's a direct flight, no add-on fees. Where did Southwest uh, place? Southwest placed third out of nine. Jeff, um, for me, you know we we like to travel Southwest. For us, it's where we can use our credit card uh, points. Jeff, for us, it's nonstop or extremely short labor. Jeff, for me, it's it's cost and it's a baggage fee. Um, well, it's, I was talking to somebody the other day who told me they had found I, I, they had found a flight for like forty five bucks from Milwaukee to Fort Myers, or for like forty five bucks, and it was on I don't know I think it was on Spirit. It was one on one of the it was on one of the, the deep discount airlines and. And and the person had a place in in the Fort Myers area, so they, they didn't have baggage fees, and they didn't care about you know having a particular um, seat assignment or anything like that. They just wanted to get there, and they were saying, "Hey, I could found this for forty five bucks." Uh, Jeff, most important thing to me is a direct flight. Jeff, a direct flight is number one. Jeff, we have three small kids. Nonstop flights are important. It is amazing. I would say, out of Oh, I don't know. Lots and lots of texts that were coming in. Um, nonstop flights, which would be mine, are probably represented on, on maybe about 75% of the things is the, the number one call. Because like I say, every, I won't say every, but most of the bad experiences that I have had on airlines have been involved where you, you had to change planes. So if I can find a nonstop flight with it in a reasonable price, that's that's the one I'm I'm going to go to. Normally, I'm able to do it, but the, the the unfortunate thing when it comes to air travel is I can remember I remember back in the days of the old Midwest Express Airlines, even before it was Midwest Airlines, and then I, I worked for the government. I used to have to go back and forth to D.C. all the time, and actually, air travel was pleasant. Was pleasant. You had the the two across seating, and you know they, they'd serve you like. Uh, you could have a, they'd give you a steak dinner on the way back and on the way out there they'd serve champagne and stuff it was actually it was almost you almost looked forward to taking the the flights now I, I don't know that you can look forward to it it's more like for me I, I hope the plane leaves on time it lands when it's supposed to and my bags have accompanied me but for whatever your different factors are you, you can decide but uh, direct flight that generally works the best for me the airline rankings once again delta alaska southwest united allegiant american and frontier then spirit and jet blue when we come back we'll find out what john mccure has on his mind on wisconsin's afternoon news stick around